the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules contain 100% fine-ripened fruits and vegetables, tested pure with no pesticides, fillers, or additives of any kind, and are the most effective whole food supplements on the market today. You might ask, how can over 10 servings of 31 different fruits and vegetables fit into six vegetarian capsules? Fruits and vegetables are on an average 85% water. Balance of Nature uses cold vacuum technology to remove the water, leaving only the whole food. We don't use any heat, air, or light drying methods that damage nutrients. Our cold vacuum technology maintains 99% of the fresh fruits and vegetables' original nutritional value. Along with diet and exercise, Mother Nature provides fruits and vegetables to help us maintain good health. To order, go to balanceofnature.com or call 1-800-246-8751. That's 1-800-246-8751. Use the special promo code PODCAST. The black church in the 40s uh, when I was a boy, in the 50s as I was growing up, uh, had a very prominent role in Democrat politics. The first and, and the biggest, I guess, is I believe that uh, life begins at conception. In a culture as politically polarized and aggressively tribalized as ours, how do people change their minds? I'm Georgie Borman, a mother, author, and cultural commentator born and raised on the West Coast. I want to know what we can learn from people who've been on both sides of contentious issues, whether they end up on the right or the left. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to the 180 Cast. Leave that and come and be all that you can be right over here in the GOP. To the 180 cast. I'm your host, Georgie Borman. Party affiliation is a deeply personal thing for many people. It's an identity thing, a cultural thing. It's not just about policy positions on the cerebral, factual level. Um, just recently, we had Brandon Strzok, founder of the Walk Away Movement, on the program to discuss why he left the Democrat Party. And I've been thinking about that. And what I've learned from the walkaway movement is many people don't even realize their party doesn't really line up with their own values. And so many of the walkaway stories have been more wake up calls than completely changing their worldviews, just realizing that their party affiliation doesn't line up with their values. Um, Politics and voting is a really complicated thing. It's very nuanced. There's a lot to sort through, a lot of emotions and rhetoric and history that's bundled up in that little tattered voter registration card you probably have tucked in your wallet. Um, many people come from a long line of family members who vote only Democrat or only Republican, and that's just what you do. It's, it's, it's a tradition, and you don't question it too much. Um, well, the Democrat Party has jerk toward the left in recent years and the rhetoric is becoming much more 
much louder and much more extreme. Um, Bernie Sanders is an open socialist, and he has a shot at winning the 2020 Democratic nomination. So this seems to be jolting some people into the realization that maybe they don't don't belong in the Democrat Party, or it's jolting them into the realization that they can no longer affiliate, maybe as a matter of conscience, with a party infrastructure that contradicts so many of their values. Joining me today is Senator Albert Guillory. He is a former Republican representative of the 24th District of the Louisiana State Senate, where he served from 2009 to 2016, and he has something like 50 years of experience in politics. Uh, Senator Guillory switched from Democrat to Republican during his time in office, becoming the first black Republican legislator in Louisiana since Reconstruction. I think his perspective can offer us some insight into why people, um, particularly the inner city populations and the black community, have been so faithful to the Democrat Party and maybe why some of them are um, may choose to leave that affiliation behind. So, Senator Guillory, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. So, we sometimes have people on the program who a 180, and then they do another transition back toward the first position. Um, you used to be a Democrat, but before that, as I understand it, you uh, were a Republican. Is that correct? Well, I've been a uh, professional, a political professional, and so I've, I've served uh, political positions for Democrat governors and Republican governors, and generally I've had to um, align my party affiliation with them for that particular position. Um, I did not do so when I made my change in 2013. I changed solely for the, um, the, the, the reason of values. Seeing as how you ran as a Democrat for the Louisiana State Senate, and you were already there, and you you know you were presumably free to espouse your values and vote according to your values. Why why didn't you decide just to remain a Democrat while in office? Seeing as how like those the people who voted for you voted for you as a Democrat. Like, what would you say to critics who would say that that's that that's a, a little bit um, weird for you to switch while in office? So you mentioned that it's it's about your values. Could you explain that a little bit more? Yes, I've. Um lived in the place where I'm speaking from at this moment um, for 75 years. Uh, the people here know me. They went to school with me. Their children and grand... I know their children and grandchildren. Um, so they didn't vote for me as a Republican or a Democrat. They voted for Albert Guillory to go and do the things that they knew and they have watched Albert Guillory do over the years. Okay. So... As I, as I mentioned in my intro, um, it seems like the Democrat Party has moved really rapidly, almost like in a landslide fashion, toward the left. Were there particular things that you that you saw leading up to 2013 that made you question, oh, I really, I really think I can't be affiliated with this party anymore? Yes, there were a few things. The first and, and the biggest, I guess, is I believe that uh, life begins at conception. And the Democrat Party of Louisiana uh, had a strong uh, 
um, pro-choice agenda. So that made me very, very, very uncomfortable. I morally that was not consistent with my family's positions, the position of my church, the position of my community. And then they also started a rabid uh, anti-gun position. And we were very, very, very uncomfortable with that. My family was, my community was. We are rural Louisiana, and we have used guns as part of our regular tools of, of feeding our families. Uh, for example, hunting, a big, big part of our, our lives. Uh, we're rural, so if we call the police, uh, it takes them a half hour to get out to where we live, and so we need to be able to protect our families. To take away guns was something that we could not, we could not live with. I see. So it's more a matter of what the the party on the state level was doing and how that didn't line up with, you know, what people in your state value versus more of this like this nebulous idea of what's happening on the national level. Yes, it was much more state politics than uh, than it was what's happening at the national level. Today, I'm 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 so happy that I am in the Republican Party because things like the new the Green New Deal on the national level would have made me extremely, extremely uncomfortable. I see. All right. Were there any other things like, so you mentioned gun rights and you mentioned um, your your pro-life position. Were there there any other things or any things that people um, said to you? Or was, was was there like a specific moment where it came together for you? Like, I, I can't. I can't be a Democrat anymore. That was a moment. Uh, first, let me answer your, your first question. Immigration was another major issue. Mm. But this all came together uh, in an afternoon. The um, the head of the state party uh, in Louisiana, the state Democrat party, made some absolutely obscene comments saying that the only reason that anyone on earth would uh, oppose Obama's uh, Obamacare program is because of his his color, his race. And my mother called me. I was sitting on the, the Senate floor. Mom called and said, uh, she's about 97, 98 at the time. She said, Albert Lee, uh, uh, did you hear what that lady said? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, well, look, are you with those people? I said, well, I'm a part of that that party, Mom. Uh, she said, well, I just, and she's a lifelong Democrat, mm-hmm. lifelong Democrat, um, having voted for me and and uh, when I was a, a Republican and, and voted for uh, Dwight Eisenhower as president. The only two times she voted, voted Republican. But she said, I don't want you to uh, bring dis repute upon our family and so when I hung up the telephone I called immediately my registrar of voters and and made the change right then right there I was I was going to do it I just hadn't I, I, I guess that motherly nudge is what I needed to get it done that's that's fascinating because yeah I'm finding out more and more 
um, the, from the more people that I listen to about politics who aren't like politicals, political people, you know, like in the, in the beltway area that it's all kind of like your party identification is kind of just wrapped up into, um, your family identity so many times. It is so interesting that you say that your, your mom was a lifelong Democrat and she like took the initiative to call you and say, uh, you're not going to be a part of this. Are you? That's just, wow. That's interesting. Um, she was, she was all, she was always a Democrat, but she was always a, uh, hard rock Baptist and uh, and an intelligent woman. I see. Is that common uh, in your in your part of uh, Louisiana to be um, to be Baptist and be involved in the church and also be Democrat? Because I know that you know it varies from place to place. It's a big country. Even before Dr. Martin King, the black church in the 40s, uh, when I was a boy in the 50s, as I was growing up, uh, had a very prominent role in Democrat politics. So this is very interesting to me. Um, well, it, it actually calls to mind something I was reading about the other day that um, the Southern Baptist Convention has, has taken a quite a a pro-choice stance um, in the past and now. So how do you think, how does faith work into this in terms of politics and voting for the Democrat Party? I'm not by any means saying that, you know, questioning anybody's faith if they're part, if they're a de- de- Democrat or a Republican or anything like that. But even in, um, in your video, when you ex- explained why you were switching parties, you said that people were being taught to rely on the government instead of um, the author of their destiny. So you yourself sound like a man of faith. How, how does that come into play in, in influencing your decision to switch parties or and influence in other people, why they choose to stay with one party or another? Well, coming from rural Louisiana and, and being a part of, uh, of what I call basic American values. People get up in the morning, they go to work, uh, work, we, we work hard, we try to educate our children, we try to make our children better, the next generation, uh, better than we were and more successful than we were. Um, all of those things, not not depending upon government, but depending upon oneself. I, I, I talked about calling the police and waiting for a half hour, and you have to take care of your own business. You have to protect your own family uh, in the rural areas where I come from. We're just independent, God-fearing, country-loving folks. I mean, we love our country. We love our God. And those bedrock American principles are part of us. So it sounds like these American values and also this identity or this identification or affiliation with the Democrat Party has have sort of run in tandem. Um, do you see that there's any more tension nowadays than there has been in the past between um, those those values for the community that you represent between those values and the values of the Democrat party, or do they seem to be sort of running along parallel lines as they always have? I see a a greater conflict between the Democrat party and the values. And to be very honest with you, I've seen more uh, (laughs) Democrats 
leaving the Democrat Party because of those values. Uh, abortion being number one, gun rights being very important, and increasingly the, uh, the, the problem of, of immigration. Interesting. Can you explain a little bit more about that in terms of immigration policy? Like, um, do they have specific concerns? Yes. Um, in 2014, um, President Obama invited 1,500, he, he invited a lot of young, of teenagers and young adults from Central America to come into our country. Um, he dumped 1,500 onto Louisiana. And it cost us $10 million in the first three months, just in education costs and in medical costs. Ten, ten, wait, $10 million for 1,500 people? In three months. In just three months. It cost more than that after the three-month period was over. But that is a lot of money. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I was in the Senate at that time, and that was just outrageous. Um, and that was something that we we had no choice about. It, it was the, those young people were simply dumped onto Louisiana's shores. Uh, the cost has been difficult for a poor state, and even worse than that. If you drive with a 25-mile radius from where I'm sitting at this moment, you would find several construction sites, sometimes houses being constructed, roads, bridges being constructed, and the people doing that work are not Native Americans. They are not... They are immigrants who are doing that work. All of those jobs are taken by other folks, and it's a, it's a real problem. It's a, it sticks in the craw of a lot of Louisiana folks who who are who see a high unemployment for indigenous people. I see. That's interesting that you you mentioned construction because um, my dad has done construction for something like 25 years. And he said that this is one of the industries that is very much impacted by illegal immigration and, um, groups coming in and, and undercutting, um, teams of workers coming in and, and undercutting the prices. So I see where you're, I see where you're coming from. He said, he said actually something very interesting. Well, he he uh, worked in California for uh, quite a while. So he was running con uh, commercial construction in California. And he said that um, in like the late 80s, early 90s, they were hanging drywall for something like 12 cents a square foot, 10 to 12 cents a square foot. And, and by the time he left, just a handful of years later, uh, the price had dropped to about four to six cents a square foot, um, which is quite a lot. So I see where you're coming from and how people would see that, uh, would, would see that as a pretty big issue. And it's something that, you know, um, Donald Trump, his president Trump's rhetoric on this has been quite strong and he's, he's taken a lot of, of a lot of heat for that. And I wanted to bring up 
President Trump really quickly because when I spoke to Brandon Strzok the other day, um, the founder of the Walk Away movement, he said that Donald Trump was like an earthquake that shook him awake. Um, and that's why he left the Democrat Party. Uh, do you think that we'd be seeing people leave the party at the rate that they are if someone else had been nominated for the Republican ticket in, in 2016? Actually, I believe that more people would have left sooner had someone else been at the head of the ticket. And the reason for that is Mr. Trump is, uh, President Trump is a, a controversial figure. Uh, he has been much maligned by the media and by leftists. They say things like uh, he wants to send all blacks back to Africa. I mean, just insane things like that. But things that can take hold among people who are not educationally or politically sophisticated. And they use those kinds of, of tricks to divide. And if, if Mr. Trump had not been there and someone else were the head of the, the ship, probably more people would have left sooner. A less, a less controversial captain of the ship. Very interesting. What... What Brandon said, and I don't want to give too much away for the listener in case they want to go back and listen to that episode, but he mentioned that the the media's handling of Donald Trump, because he's such a controversial figure, really exposed um, the media and their bias, and that was one of the big things that... um, led him into investigating these the positions of both sides and deciding that um, the Republican Party lined up more with his values. So that is, I appreciate your take on that. I do believe that uh, Mr. Trump has exposed the media for their, their biases. I think that they would attack him, the media and the far left, for anything. I mean, Trump left the toilet seat up in the White House. We got to impeach him. <laughs> you're probably right. You're probably right, though. Donald Trump ate a cheeseburger. <laughs> impeach him. Um, well, actually, no. That was actually one of the things that was controversial. Because didn't he bring like a bunch of fast food to the White House? Because he had like some members of the NFL there or something, and that was like a whole big thing. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I guess they were supposed to have uh, southern fried chicken for the NFL players, and they didn't. They ordered burgers or something instead. Oh, well, that would have been, you know, that would have been stereotyped, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> They would have attacked him for that, too. They would have attacked him for that. Right. Racist fried chicken served in the White House. Probably, probably. Um, so... I wanted to ask you about some rhetoric that I've seen you use and that I've seen other people who have um, walked away from the Democrat Party use, and it's this term um, plantation, the Democrat Party plantation, uh, particularly when referring to like how the inner cities are governed. How do you compare... Because you've also talked about white privilege, right? And and how we need to leave the victim mentality behind um, and, and how individuals can 
make a difference in their own destiny, that they're not, you know, locked into a, a certain path or a certain cast in life. Um, but I wanted to ask you about this idea of the plantation because the the rhetoric of the white privilege theorists is almost, it's actually quite similar, but in the other direction in terms of um, saying that the capitalist system created and perpetuated by uh, the white majority is what's keeping blacks in poverty and keeping them subjugated. So they too seem to be equating current systems of alleged injustice to slavery. So how do you compare those two things? Because I know that you're more of a, you know, um, the, the individual is, is primarily responsible for their destiny in life, but also, um, you refer to the Democrat party as a plantation. What do you make of that? If you look at the major urban areas of the United States of America, what you find is that the urban areas are run by Democrats and they are high unemployment and their policies maintain high unemployment. Uh, Black teenage unemployment around 90%, for example. That's quite high. Yes. The schools are absolutely almost 100% rotten schools, really trashy schools that have high dropout rates, uh, low graduation rates, and even the persons who do graduate from those schools are even unable to speak, to, to compute at grade level or to read at grade level or even to speak the English language. And that is, that's a disaster. Uh, high unemployment, high illiteracy, high drug use, um, high teenage motherhood, very large number of uh, fathers not being part of the family home. So all of those policies all those conditions that are continued by and exacerbated by Democrat policies uh, keep people in a form of slavery, modern day slavery, locked out of the American dream, locked out of uh, American opportunity. So are there particular policies, for instance, if someone, if someone was saying no white privilege is real and and that's what's keeping the black community down. Are there particular things, particular policies that you would point to not, that lead to the results that you just mentioned? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would say the welfare policies that in, ensure that no man is in the household uh, is a big part of, of what I'm talking about. Um so the marriage, the the marriage penalty, basically, where you don't receive as much welfare if you're married. <clears throat> that that's correct. Okay. Uh, housing policies that say uh, the man cannot be in the household unless he is married to you, and so when people start off as parents before they become 
spouses, uh, policies like that drive them apart very quickly. He has to move out. He has to go away. And so that fledgling relationship doesn't have a chance to get on its feet and, and develop. Okay. So that's, is that, um, is that like a state policy or is that part of like, um, section eight policy? Part of, part of section eight and, and, and public housing policy. Okay. Are there any, um, is there anything else that you would point to? Like, you know, if you were to give like the top three investment in infrastructure, the cities that we're talking about, the urban areas are crumbling. And if people, if, if government invested in the infrastructure and rebuilt those crumbling cities, there would be jobs for a lot of people there. Their policies, number one, do not invest in infrastructure. And therefore, there are many jobs that they, they don't attract businesses. So government has to be uh, one of the major employers. Uh, and then their policies with respect to immigration, those few jobs that are available, uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants come in and take those. Those are the kinds of policies that keep urban areas poor and segregated and uneducated. What about this idea of gentrification Uh, and the idea of gentrification as being a problem? Because you mentioned infrastructure, and I'm I'm presuming you you mean infrastructure as if we had better infrastructure, it would be easier for businesses to come in, easier for businesses to get what they need, and in turn to, you know, provide jobs for the community. Um, Because that's a seems to be a sticking point with a lot of people who feel like um, white oppression is, is, a, is a real thing and that um, African Americans are almost being displaced by this idea that we need to, you know, uh, like clean up neighborhoods and um, put in nicer restaurants uh, and things like that. I really don't see white oppression. I really don't see white privilege. Um, to be honest with you, we have a privilege of, of being in America and having the opportunities that are available to us. Uh, we can, in, only in America, can we do anything we want to do, be anyone we want to be, be anything we want to be. Nowhere else on earth. One can be... A heart specialist like Dr. Carson or, or a football player. Uh, one just has all of those options and all those choices. And to say that some white kid up the street has a greater opportunity to do and be those things, that's horse hockey. The mountain is there for anyone to climb. If you've got the gumption to climb it, go climb it. And you can get to the top. Do you feel like some people have much larger mountains, much steeper slopes to climb than than others, though? I think that fat people are discriminated against in this country, and uh, sometimes their roads a little bit steeper up the mountain. There's no question that there is some still race discrimination that does exist, Um, but I don't see it as a major force in American economics or politics. This idea of of white privilege seems to be gaining 
momentum in the public consciousness. And of course, you know, it started out on, on public campuses um, and from a, an essay written about 30 years ago. Um, but it seems to have been gaining a lot of steam. And it seems to me, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that this this seems to be one of the biggest um, hurdles to overcome in terms of people leaving liberalism or, or leaving the Democrat Party because it seems very persuasive, right? Like the idea that, well, this country does have a history of oppression. This country does have a history of slavery. And you can sort of see that legacy, echoes of that legacy even today. Um, do you think that that's, is that actually at the top of the list of, of, of things that, um, convince people to to hold on to the the leftist the left perspective or are there other things that are more important that i'm missing i don't see that as as being particularly important you know 400 years ago my african ancestor was a slave the fact as a matter of fact my grandfather my grandfather was born a slave. He worked, bought property, helped found two churches, uh, made sure that his children were educated. His daughter became a school teacher and a school principal. Her children, one taught at one of the nation's top law schools, another one taught at one of the nation's top medical schools. The fact that our grandfather was a slave certainly has not held us back. As a matter of fact, it's probably a little, a little additional motivation to see that he, he worked that hard and moved that far that fast only in America is that possible and to, if, for us to sit down and say oh woe is me my great 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 granddaddy was a slave so I can't read uh, I can't get a job that's just horse hockey that is a very powerful testimony I'm even having trouble processing that like your grandfather your grandfather was a slave and now look at where you are yes. I can't like I can't imagine what oh, what is it wait what 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 do the dinner conversations at your family like reunions what do those sound like because that I'm from my position um, of being up here in raised middle class with two parents that, you know, or a father that made a middle class income who are both still together, who, you know, I have four healthy siblings. Like I don't, <sighs> can you, can you transport me into what your world is like? Because I don't. I'm having trouble like making the connection because that just seems so incredible to me that you are where you are when two generations ago there was slavery. I don't. 
And incidentally, I am sitting on the very property where my grandfather was born a slave and was a little slave boy uh, toiling away and he bought the same property from his uh, former slave master after after uh, emancipation. We, uh, I guess, because of his work ethic and his spirituality uh, that has just come down through the years, and we are probably as aggressive as he was in in getting things done and getting work done. Uh, My own son, a major factor in uh, political videography, Uh, my daughter, uh, law school graduate. We, We just don't sit around playing victim for anyone. Is that a mentality that you believe can be taught and ingrained as a value, or is it, or is it more of like an intrinsic motivation that some people are born with? I think it's it's part of the culture. It's taught in school. Uh, it was taught in schools when I was a child. Uh, it was part of the neighborhood when I was a child. I could. There were seven children. Uh, in this neighborhood and we didn't know that we were poor of course until we got to college and and discovered that uh, by reading that we were poor but we didn't know it before then Uh, we didn't have poor attitudes we just had empty pockets and sometimes empty stomachs but no poor attitudes what is the most persuasive argument you would give to a Democrat who is questioning where the party is heading and um, might be interested in switching in switching part in switching parties. What would you say to like put him or her over the edge? Or is there anything you could say? I would talk about we, we've talked about values. I would I would always start by talking about values, but I would also talk about some of the just nuttier ideas uh, coming from the far left now, socialism, uh, destroying the oil industry, uh, destroying the automobiles as we know them, destroying airplanes as we know them, killing off the beef industry because cows pass gas. Um, Those things are just are just too far beyond the pale for Americans to buy into. And if the Democrats are going down that road or those roads, uh, which is just insanity, Mm -hmm. we need good common sense in our politics. We need good common sense in our values. We need to get rid of the garbage that we're putting into our young people and get them back into churches. I would I would like to see uh, God back in America and God back in American public meetings and public schools. So one of the things uh, I write about a lot is the issue of abortion. And you say you believe life begins at conception. One of the realizations that I've come to over the past couple years is I, I'm not sure that, uh, 
legal abortion um, can be defeated without like a massive spiritual awakening in this country. What do you think about that? Do you do you agree? Do you not agree? Or? I think I, I, I think we need that that massive spiritual awakening uh, for a bunch of reasons. I believe that Roe versus Wade is probably going to be overturned by the present Supreme Court, um, and I'm very happy that uh, President Trump has has appointed judges who are going to swing the pendulum back. When, when, when abortion started in 1972, when abortion was legalized, we had a major problem of, of illegal abortions. Uh, we had a few hundred thousand a year, probably 150,000 illegal abortions a year. We were trying to address that problem and eliminate the, the deaths and illnesses that resulted from that. No one knew that we were opening the door to more than a million a year, a million babies aborted every year. And thanks to Planned Parenthood and people of that ilk, uh, they are they put their abortion mills, many of them, in minority communities, in urban communities, so that it, the abortion has a particularly devastating effect on the black community and the, and the brown communities. For, for people who are, who are still um, in the Democrat Party, who, who find things you know, persuasive about the platform, for instance, universal health care, um, and and having a an immigration system that is more welcoming to immigrants um and and gun safety and things like that is is there an appeal like if you had like 30 seconds what's your appeal to those people to to switch parties or to consider voting the other direction i would say if i had 30 seconds that god has given you some basic blessings of relatively good health and placed you in a good geographic position. America has given you the opportunities to take what God has given you and maximize it. Government should never stand in the way and Democrat policies have always stood in the way. They continue to do so today. Leave that and come and be all that you can be right over here in the GOP. Senator Guillory, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and just hearing your perspective and your history has um, really been an ear-opening experience. Um, so thank you so much. Where can we follow your work and your commentary and anything you might be up to? Albert Guillory's America, Facebook, uh, the Internet, and, of course, albertguillory.com. We're uh, out here and we're delivering the message and would love to have some support and some friendship. I really appreciate uh, this opportunity to talk with you and to be heard by your audience. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, don't forget.
forget you can follow the podcast on social media at 180cast. Please give the podcast a review and rating on iTunes if you like it. And if you like the format of talking to people who have um, made radical transitions in their lives or changed their minds. Uh, You can send me your feedback or if you have a 180 story to share or you know somebody who does, you can uh, get in touch with me on Twitter at 180cast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Georgie underscore Borman, where I talk about the news, the world's worst children's books, and um, whether laundromats should double as bars. Just just spoiler, the, the worst children's book is Where the Wild Things Are. Don't forget to check out episode 7, which is the interview I did with Brandon Strzok of Walk Away, and stay tuned every Friday for more 180 stories. Until next time, seek the truth, share your values, and listen with your heart and your mind. God bless. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.